I got a killing joke for you. There's two muffins sitting in an oven. And one says, hey, it's hot in here. And the other one says, ah, talking muffin. I got a killing joke for you. This movie. I'm going to killing <laughs> joke both of you. <laughs> I go loony as a light bulb battered bug. Simply loony. Sometimes fold and chew the rug. Mr. Life is swell in a padded cell. It'll chase those blues away. You can trade your gloom for a rubber room and injections twice a day. Welcome to Divisive Issues, <laughs> comic book podcast. We talk about comic books and also movies that are like comic books. I'm Ryan Lynch. I'm Psychrapa. I'm Phil Mavrikis. I'm Daryl Steffen. I'm Sean Lynch. Wow, five people. Yeah. It's like a clown car. And we can't get out of it for an hour. <laughs> if you thought that you we talked over each other all the other times, just what? wait till hey, what? Right, shut up. What? <laughs> you call this podcast Defiance Issues. Uh, Daryl Steffen's Big Brain and Four Ugly Bozos. <laughs> uh, the Big Brain, the Three Cool Guys, and the Slide Nobody Wanted. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever been one of the cool guys. <laughs> Okay, so this Are you week... sure you're not the slide of what he wanted? <laughs> I don't know. Sure. You guys, you guys can both be the slides that nobody wants, so... Then who's two people? Okay, this this podcast is going to be way too long. <laughs> okay, okay, so we're this week we're talking about The Killing Joke, uh, a graphic novel illustrated by Brian Boland. And I don't, I don't say who the writer is because neither does the credits of the film adaptation that just came out. Yeah, that was pretty funny, actually. Yeah, Alan Moore wrote it. If you're at all familiar with Alan Moore, he wrote Watchmen and V for Vendetta, and he's notorious for hating adaptations of his work, so he basically removes his name from everything. Rightly so. Very, very slow. Except for the JLU episode of The Man Who Has Everything, which he loved, written by DiMatteis. But that's besides the point. <laughs> what about the Swamp Thing movie? Did you like that? Uh, Do you like Return to Swamp Thing? Yeah, they like, they like Return of Swamp Thing. <laughs> yeah, did he? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. The burning question. We'll go ask him. Alan Moore, write, a, write in. Our biggest fan. So, okay, so Sly, you want to give a little backstory? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just a backstory on Alan Moore. Um, if you uh, read any comics, you probably read Alan Moore, like Ryan said, all his, all his books. But uh, this is more Brian Boland's uh, brainchild, this comic. Uh, basically, he's he's a very prolific DC artist. He usually does covers. Yeah, he's like, if you're looking late 80s, early 90s DC, and it's a cover that you really love, it's probably a Brian Bowen cover. Yeah, he does, he does very little uh, interior work, and this is one of the few interior uh, books he created. And basically, he, he came up with the concept. Like DC said, what, you want to do a book? And he says, yes, I want to do this book, and I want to do Al Moore writing it. And Alan Moore kind of disowned it afterwards. Like he says, he's not very proud of uh, this book. But uh, Brian Bowler like still embraces this book. Like uh, he made a special edition, George Lucas style of this book, which is the one we're reading. That's the uh, one I'm holding in my hands right now. Yeah, I really, I'm not just like the uh, George Lucas special editions. I like the less than the original print. It is but, a beautiful uh, hardcover, though. But uh, like basically, what, what happened was the original coloring was they had a different coloring for the original uh, printing. It was more trippy, lots of pinks, yellows, uh, bright blues, and stuff like that. 
and Brian Boland, he's like, I hate this. I want to make it more subdued, more like any other just generic comic book. And I think that the book suffers for it, but what do I know? And George Lucas wants to make fucking CGI monsters scream at the <laughs> uh, TV. I can't say anything about that See, either. I had originally read this one, and I remember seeing, like, scans of the old one. So I don't think I've ever seen, like, a high-quality version of the old one. So I can't really judge if it's better or worse. But having only read the new one, it still looks so good. Yeah, I think, I, the, art, I, I think the art's pretty good. And I, I actually, speaking of Alan Moore disowning it, I think it's pretty funny. I was reading quotes about him afterwards, how he's just like, yeah, I mean, it's like, they're not real. Batman and Joker aren't real people, so you don't really learn anything about people. So it's kind of kind of garbage. It's like, <laughs> what, what a weird comment about... Well, about... <laughs> uh, not only did Alan Moore disown this comic, he kind of disowned like, everything he ever accomplished. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's an interview where he said, like, superiors are stupid and pieces of shit, and I wasted my life writing them or something like that. Like, he's a very... Well, he's not... the one who invented the, like, gritty deconstructing, and then he was like, I just wanted to write a book like that. I didn't mean for it to become what all comics are now. But then, like, then, like, does before he was like, no, comics are pretty stupid. Like, superiors, he said, yeah. are pretty stupid. Like, he said, like, they're anime is trash. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he said, he said, superiors are a mistake, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Alan Moore. So whatever. What does he know? <laughs> yeah, he's he's a crazy shaman in like a cave somewhere. Yeah, and he looks like one too. Yeah. Okay, so we're going through the book first, right? Wait, target audience. Oh yeah. So I mean, Shit this is. Lords. for once it's not shithead edgelords i have issues with this book that we'll get into everyone does but not everyone it is hailed most people do it is probably the most beloved batman story honestly i i say that it's it has a lot of issues with it but overall i think if you're at all a fan of the joker this is like the joker story to read yeah if you like batman you like this. It's a must-read if you like Batman, for me. Yeah, it's a must-read Batman story, though we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But if, if you're a Batman fan and you haven't read it, read it. Mm-hmm. What's the premise of this book? So, the premise, like the elevator pitch, is it's basically the Joker does something horrible, and Batman has to basically analyze his relationship with the Joker and say, where do we go from here? One of us is going to have to kill the other one, and I want to try to prevent that. And at the meanwhile, Joker is exploring what he thinks is what made him the Joker. And that's really it. It's not long. What is it, like 40 pages? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Right yeah, it's very short. And for the length of it, it has such a lasting effect on DC in general, and especially Batman, to the fact that there was an animated movie that literally came out it was released on DVD today, you know, at the time of recording. So it had like a limited edition run in theaters, which I don't think a Batman animated film has been in theaters since Mask of the Phantasm in like the mid 90s. That was in theaters? Yeah. That's so cool. So that's like, so obviously it's a big deal. Mark Hamill, who voiced the Joker in all the Arkham games and the Batman animated series, said he was retiring with the character unless they did the killing joke. That's the only time he would come back. And I think Kevin Conroy might have said the same thing, who voices Batman. So, obviously, this was a story that was pretty hyped to get an adaptation. So, we're going to talk about it and see if it lived up to the hype. Okay, we ready for the book? Yeah. 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 Cool. So, it, it opens with a rainy scene, no dialogue for the first, like, 
couple pages, and it's a rainy scene of the Batmobile pulling up to Arkham Asylum. You don't have to go scene by scene. You just say, the Batmobile goes to Arkham, Ryan. Uh, the rain is literally how the whole thing resolves, Sly. It's I important. know, but, you, but, you, but you're like, oh, the rainy scene, the Batmobile drives up slowly. No, but that is um, important. Batman gets out of his car. You watch Sly, it's literally paint. the entire theme of the book, you Get fuck. me out of this clown car. <laughs> this this opening is important. There's only four pages. We're two down. It's been 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. We can, I, we can discuss that when we get to the end. We don't have to go fucking scene by scene, Ryan. No, but this is important, Sly. If you want to, you want me to do the recap, Ryan? You want me to do it right? You told me I had to do it, so you could fucking deal let, with it. Let Sly. me do it. No, let me do it. I'm doing it. I want to do it. This is gonna be I'm hell. doing it. So, puddles, rain, headlights, Batmobile, Arkham <laughs> Asylum. He walks in. That's important. And then he walks up and he goes into the Joker's cell and he has a big monologue. That's that thing I said before. And he's basically exploring, saying, I'm sick of this relationship that we have. I've been thinking a lot about it. How is this going to end? Am I going to kill you or are you going to kill me? And I want to put it out there before it gets to that point that I'm making an effort to fix it. It's kind of, it's very, it really, it really sounds super like boyfriend, girlfriend, but it's done, I think, really, really well. I mean, they have a pretty romantic relationship. Joker's seen Batman's nuts. <laughs> That's oh, true. Yeah. That's true. I want, I want. I just want to bring up that I really like this opening. It's like it's almost like storyboarded, like all the opening scenes, all the opening frames. It's real. It's got slow build, but it's like you can feel there's tension in the way that it's drawn and like how the characters are. And it's just Batman sitting down with Joker in the darkness, who's just playing cards, and it's like there's this frustration going on. Yeah, and it it opens with the narration. There were these two guys in a lunatic asylum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and despite uh, Sly wanting us to skip the intro, the intro being completely silent as he drives up, he walks up to Commissioner Gordon. They walk in silently together. They walk up to the cell together. The guard lets them in silently. He walks past Harvey Dent. All this stuff happens in complete silence, no dialogue at all, until he sits down with the Joker. It's such a yeah. great. It's such a great. It's, set it sets piece. a mood. It's like, all right, this is serious. Yeah. I hope yeah. they will fucking do a Watchmen review of you guys because if you guys fucking point out everything that's important thematically, we're gonna be fucking doing that for five years. This is a forty-page. Like, did you want to do this book? <laughs> I, I know the raise important, but you have to fucking describe it when I'm talking about a summary, a plot summary. You fucking. Oh, asshole. sorry. I want to talk about the book and why it's good. All right, I'm doing a summary. Okay, next scene is. Uh, the no, goes hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold yeah, on. No, I'm no, doing fuck it. You, fuck you. It's yeah, Ryan's next scene is job. A fucking carnival. No, no, we're not there yet. At all. You skipped a super important thing. (laughs) Okay, it ends with the fucking rain, and then the book ends, now we're going to the movie. So, Joker's playing cards in the dark, and it's really weird how the cell is lit where you don't see his face at all, or Batman's face, but whatever. So, he's playing cards, he's by himself, and Batman's giving this whole monologue about them, and then he grabs Joker's hand, and he's like, are you even listening to me? And he sees that makeup is rubbing off in his hands. So he realizes that it's not the Joker, it's not his bleach skin, it's just some guy. And as soon as he grabs the Joker, or some guy, in classic Batman fashion, he's like, you're not allowed to touch me! And Batman basically beats the shit out of him, and he's like, where is he? And like, you know, that classic Batman... Where's Rachel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He actually rolls his R, he says, wow. Yeah, I thought that was pretty weird. And Commissioner Gordon's like, you can't, you can't beat up an inmate, and then Batman basically shoves like the wig in his face and he's like this isn't an inmate fuck you you piece of shit i'm going in my ass <laughs> yeah. so then then it cuts to the carnival that sly was saying and joker's basically like you know this place sucks it's the all the it's, rides are gonna maim children it smells like piss but there's a guy selling him the carnival so he's like yeah. do you like it and that's why joker's saying that 
Yeah, and the Joker's like, well, all these terrible things. Just kidding, I'm crazy for it. Daryl, we don't have enough time to go through every side character. We gotta keep going. <laughs> You're right, Okay, Sean, you fucking I'm asked sorry. me what? One hour, 30 minute episodes. You can ask me to cut this down. You can eat my ass when we do. I'm fucking dead. <laughs> Jesus. Sly, I'm a guest. I have nothing to do with the day to day I didn't think you'd get angrier at this than Mark Valora's books. <laughs> Yeah, Sly's just mad at us. I don't know. This is what happens when Sly doesn't have a shit book to, like, project all his anger on. <laughs> he has to take it out on something. <laughs> his friends. So, this tr- scene transition, I really want to mention. So, he's... Oh Joker is buying this, this carnival, and he sees a poster for a fat lady, and it transitions to his... Uh, to a sepia, like, back, you know, flashback. And it's his... It's, obviously the joker keep it tone flashback say it right ryan sorry <laughs> it's obviously the joker and he's talking to his pregnant wife and i just think that that's like a funny gag that's like look at this like freak show fat lady it's basically just his pregnant lady yeah and the this guy that looks just like the joker but isn't the joker is saying how he is a failed comedian he can't he keeps blowing punchlines he can't get a job and his pregnant wife is basically like consoling him and saying like, no, I still love you even though you can't provide for us. And like, we'll make it work. Whatever it is, we'll make it work. And she's really, really sweet. And he's, it's a very like 1950s style tone. Very fantastic style. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know what I'm like? It's a very like old school, like wonderful life kind of feel. Mm, I mean, it's, it's more, I mean, visually sad. Oh yeah, vi- visually, it's supposed to look. Oh yeah, because like it's a wonderful white. life isn't a sad movie. Town. Well, that. Is... Well, I'm saying like he's obviously like defeated in this. That's what's establishing. I would say there's some differences between this and the wonderful uh, life. Very few. I'm not saying it's an exact <laughs> adaptation, but I'm saying it's like <laughs> oh, guy. There's da- no angel in this, Ryan. Yeah, there's no angel in this. But like a guy like down and down in the dumps, like really self-deprecating. He hates himself, and he's like, I can't do anything right. And then it cuts back to modern times, and it's Joker looking at, like, the laughing clown with a really miserable face in the reflection. But I, I, I want to specify, every cut it does from back in time to present day is mirrored from the sepia to the reality. Like, yeah. it's the Joker reaching out towards his wife, and then it cuts to the Joker reaching out towards the clown. And, and yeah. they do that throughout the whole comic, yeah. unlike yeah. some film adaptations (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so he's buying it from this like really dopey guy that looks just like the brother-in-law from uh national lampoon's vacation and he's like yeah i'm gonna buy it but instead of paying you i'm just gonna murder you so he joker venoms him and he gets all smiley and white and he dies riding like an old like a playground elephant that's important detail, right? That he's a playground elephant, right, Ryan? The fuck you, Sly. Sly. Sly, all these interjections will make it go on longer. <laughs> but it'll make it more entertaining. Fuck you guys. <laughs> so now it's Batman trying to figure out where he is, and he reiterates, like, how can we have such a strong relationship when we don't even know each other? And it really shows how the Joker kind of just acts and does all this crazy, chaotic stuff, while Batman sits and tries to be the detective and make sense of everything. And that, I think, they do a really good job in just two pages of showing the difference between them. I also yeah. like the line how he says, how can two people hate each other so much when they don't even really know each other? Yep. Yeah. Or as Al Moore would say, how can two people hate each other so much when they don't even exist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because characters like uh, the Invisible Man exist a lot, Alan Moore. Fuck you. That's what I but thought. Anyway. I'm like, you wrote Watchmen. You're saying this is a really unrealistic portrayal of humans. 
Yeah. So now we get to the real nitty gritty of the story. So it cuts to Commissioner Gordon. And can, I, can I bring up something small real quick? Sure. Oh it, God, it's Gordon. Very... No, you can't. Gordon cutting the newspaper clipping it, and it shows Batman, and he has his hand to a camera. So I like the idea that there's a paparazzi sitting there taking pictures, and Batman's like, get this out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> like, he didn't just, like, disappear or grapple away. He yeah. was, like, he was purposely pushing the camera away. He only disappears on Jim Gordon. When it's, like, photo ops, he always stays till the end. Yeah. <laughs> so Jim Gordon is... Uh, making the scrapbook stuff, and Barbara Gordon, his daughter, who's also Batgirl, is was Batgirl retired at this point? Yes. Just to give a back story, in preparation for the story, they actually they actually had a Batgirl special called the Last Batgirl Story, and it is Batgirl retiring in preparation, and it, and it ends with a preview of the Killing Joke. So like it was made in anticipation for. But this I mean, story. at the same time, Alan Moore wrote the Last Superman story. Which wasn't at all that. No, but like, it says, it was... like, you like the story, now read The Killing Joke. Like, it was literally for this book, that, that Batgirl story. Okay, it's probably better than the Batgirl story that precedes the, this movie, but we'll get to that. So, uh, so Batgirl is just, like, talking to her dad, and there's a knock at the door, and she thinks it's her friend, and she opens the door, and it's Joker standing there in a Hawaiian shirt, and it's very creepy, and yeah. he shoots her in the spine, yeah. and she falls yeah. and smashes a coffee table. And he gives a lot of, like, librarian puns that I actually, like, this is why this is such an iconic Joker story. Because he keeps making these jokes that I would, like, they're funny, but it makes you so uncomfortable that you're, like, enjoying the jokes almost. And he, they, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't want to laugh that he says, like... Oh, this is a common complaint against librarians. She thinks she's a coffee table edition. There's a hole in the jacket and the spine appears to be damaged. Like, that's... Like, yeah, that's a clever written joke, but there's a woman bleeding out in front of you. Yeah. And he's saying, like, she won't be walking off the shelves anytime soon, implying that the shot was meant to paralyze her, which it does. And he kidnaps... They beat the shit out of Commissioner Gordon, and then... Batgirl's laying on the ground. She goes, why are you doing this? And Joker starts unbuttoning her blouse and says, to prove a point. So, ugh. And that's the main problem, is that she's not a character except for this. Well, the movie must be much better then, because they give uh, some... Yeah, some... so by Ryan's point of view, the making a character automatically makes a better story, right, Ryan? Uh, I mean... We'll, we'll talk about this at the end, whether or not a half-assed attempt to add a shitty extra plot for a character makes up for uh, something better than a, a non-attempt at all. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about that later. So then it cuts back to the flashbacks of our... Do they say his name at all? No, right? No, no. no. So we're going to call him Joe. Joe Chill. Oh yeah, we should, we should, we should uh, mention uh, Tim Burton uh, read this book and said his favorite... Uh, uh, comic and um, because uh, of this that's why Batman 89 is so much inspiration from the story as you'll see soon yeah so why don't we just call him Jack Napier then okay so I was gonna call him Joe Kerr but (laughs) Jack works so Jack is in like a shady bar and he's basically saying like that story that we've seen a million times of I just I just want to I want to provide for my wife I'm going to do one heist with these like shady gangsters 
And for, did you guys notice in the scene there's a guy throwing up into his hand? Yes, I was oh, wondering. Yeah. I was wondering about that. Brian Bullard, Bullard, one of the reasons why he doesn't do a lot of interior art is because he has a lot of detail, and you can see it in the story. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, Sly, since you've read the original, everything's in basically like black and white sepia except for red tones in the new one. Is that the way the old one is too? No, the old. that's one of the reasons why Brian Bullard wanted to redo it, because the old one... Uh, the ba- the ba- the flashbacks didn't have the sepia tone. He says, "I wanted the sepia tone. I wanted uh, it to be subdued." Oh, okay. I like I I like that that effect. There's reasons to it, which, I, well, I think there are that I'll say l- later. Yeah. So they're they basically say that they're part of this gang that they pick one guy, whoever's the most important member of the job. They say snidely, and they have him put on a costume, which is just this like big red like dome thing called the Red Hood, and that's how they stay anonymous that it's always a different person even though like the papers keep talking about the red hood gang and their leader it's always a different person and because he used to be a lab assistant at this chemical plant they want him to help them help him break in to break him to go to a, a playing card company next door which i yeah, thought is I so weird yeah i don't get that we can't break into the playing card company. Let's break into a chemical plant and go to the playing card company. I don't know. I guess just to tie it into Joker. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. So then it cuts back to the hospital. Well, it cuts to the hospital. And that's where we find out that Barbara is paralyzed. And, the, you know, and that's also when Batman finds out that she was undressed and there were photographs taken of her. And at this point, she wakes up and... She's saying that the Joker's taking it to the limit this time. You didn't see his eyes. And even though she's been put in this horrible position, she only cares about her father. So she's saying, you have to find my father. What's he doing to my father? And that's when we find out what he's doing. And we cut to Commissioner Gordon, who there's a bunch of... How would you describe the Joker's henchmen? They're they're circus freaks. Uh, How would you... Be a little more detailed, Sean. Uh, They're weird little... They kind of look like Cupid's on like acid so like they're like weird little baby men (laughs) yeah and they're not you know they're like they got weird like features and they're all in like diapers and wings and stuff yeah dresses and tutus and they're just really creepy and from now on assume everything in the story is just really aesthetically creepy yeah so commissioner gordon stripped naked by these things Put in like an S and M dog collar and dragged around this, uh, this carnival, and we we see the guy on the pink elephant again, still dead. That's yeah. important, right, Sly? Fuck you. And <laughs> I also like how a lot of his henchmen, like he has a bearded lady, he has a uh, the fat lady, he has the the two uh, conjoined twins, conjoined twins. Yeah. Um, you know, and like a werewolf person. Yeah, like yeah, a hairy, hairy man. man. Yeah. Yeah. And Commissioner Gordon is dragged and thrown in front of the Joker's throne, and he's on a throne of, like, a bunch of naked dolls. So it looks like he's on, like, a throne of dead babies. And the Joker's just giving, like, this really dramatic monologue. He's he's basically looking at, like, the halcyon days of past, and he's he's telling him not to get lost in old memories. Yeah, and he's saying, like, memories are what make us who we are, and our reason is based around memories. And, but at the same time, we're not contractually tied down to rationality. You could just do whatever you want. So he, he keeps contradicting himself and that's going to be a major theme later on. I, I like, I like this scene a lot because. Because Phil just loves naked babies. <laughs> hey, and naked old men. 
It's true. I just really like the fact that this a lot of big part of a big part of this book is the flashbacks to Joker uh, yeah. before he became Joker, and he talks about how it's like it kind of sets it up here how memories can be the worst thing ever, but they they inform our reason because everyone makes decisions based off past experiences. So the alternative to dealing with all these shitty memories is to just be crazy. We can just ignore rationality yeah. together, ignore memories, just go completely, as he says, loony. Loony yeah. as a... Light bulb, light, bulb? light bulb smashed bug or something? Yeah, something like that. Light, yeah. light bulb battered bug. <laughs> yeah. And now we get another flashback where it's the day of the big heist, and Jack is... He's about to leave out with the guys... And he gets stopped by the police, and the police tell him there was an accident. It was a million-to-one accident. And his wife was testing out a uh, water, a baby bottle heater, yeah. and there was an electric short, and she was killed. And they say there's really no reason to hurry. She's super dead. Yeah. Why don't you have another drink with your friends? And he, at this point, tries to drop out, because without his wife, there's no reason for him to be a criminal. And they threaten him, saying, you have to, otherwise we're going to kill you. I want to bring up something important here that a uh, central theme in this book that keeps going on is there's a lot of like rude jokes going around sort of like Joker making all those jokes after Barbara gets shot and he makes like a joke earlier in one of his flashbacks about like whores don't have to tell jokes to get their money and like yeah. his wife laughs at that and then it's like when these guys after he tells them how his wife is dead and they're like you still have to go and do this job or you're gonna get killed and they say, do you understand? Do you get the picture? And he says, yes, I get the picture. And the next frame is the picture of him and his wife right below him. Like, th- that now she's dead and he can't have her. Like, he can't have that picture anymore. Like, there's this constant, yeah. like, the cruel reality playing jokes on him. And that's why, like, he does it to other people. So then, to turn the tables, it goes back to the Joker. He has put naked Commissioner Gordon mm. on, like, a Tunnel of Horrors kind of ride. Like, like those, like, carts that, you know, go through and there's video screens and everything. And this is when he sings a song about just go... The song that Daryl and Phil were talking about. Just go crazy. You don't need to... You know, you don't have to worry about your memories. Just go loony as a lamp-battered bug or whatever. <laughs> and yep. instead of the... And so the screens of him dancing cut to now all the photos Joker took of Batgirl. And there she's completely naked. She's covered in blood. And there's... There was a very sexual element here, even though it's horrible. And it's an Alan Moore book, so of course there is. And yet the scene has, uh, the, the middle of the page, has Commissioner Gordon with his dog collar on, naked, chained down, watching his daughter on the screen, yeah. screaming, Barbara! And, and it is it is powerful, but yeah. it's like really uncomfortable. And I think it, this really ties into what we were saying before about how uh, in the in the flashbacks, it always does seem like Jack is the butt of the joke. And even in that last scene where he finds out his wife dies, the last panel is him with his head in his hands, and everyone in the bar is like Joker facing, laughing at him. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. uh, that probably didn't happen, but it's he always feels like he's the joke. So here he's trying to be like, look, now this like you're the joke. Every, every your life can go upside down. Yep, and yeah. he's telling him not like don't try and get even with me. Get mad. Yeah. Yeah, and he, you know, I, I actually like that line a lot. I'm really glad you brought it up because I kind of forgot about it. Because, like, you know, everyone knows the cliche, don't get mad, get even. But, like, it's so interesting how they switch it, and then they mean, like, crazy. Yeah. Like, it's it, that's yep. the kind of wordplay that made Alan Moore the star of the late 80s in comic yep. books. It's really good. Yeah, so at this point, Batman is trying to find Joker, and Joker invites him here. 
So he sends him a, a bonus admission ticket to the carnival. This is a really cool scene, though, that uh, it's, like, so short, but it's it's basically Batman trying to find Joker first. And every first panel is Commissioner Gordon going through another door of, like, this horror coaster. Then it's two scenes of two pictures, completely silent, of Batman trying to find Joker. And then goes back to it again. Ba-dump. He goes through the next door. Batman's trying to find Joker. Ba-dump. Yeah. It's completely silent, too, the whole time. And it, it conveys this whole search, which... Like, passage of time that yeah. Gordon's yeah. suffering while Batman's, like, frantically searching for Joker. Something that may yeah. be hard to convey outside of comics. Yeah, as we'll like see. in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> this kind of book makes me so sad that Brian Boland doesn't do more interiors. Because his art, like... I thought you hated this book, though, Ryan. No, I don't hate this book. You want to see more women get raped, Ryan? Is that what you're saying? No. <sighs> when... When a lot of cover artists do interiors, a lot of times it comes across very stilted and like more portrait esque and not really as actiony or pacing. And Brian Boland is such a master of the craft that like it just makes me sad. I don't think I've ever read another Brian Boland interior story. So we cut back to Commissioner Gordon, and Commissioner Gordon is now getting off the ride, and he's basically like vegetative like he's he's not saying anything he's just totally keeled over and joker's like come on i don't want this to be boring and he's basically he wants more of a reaction from commissioner gordon and commissioner gordon has just totally shut down it's also important that we don't see his face so we don't know what state he's in other than he's just utterly shocked yeah throughout the whole book brian boland uses this like face in shadow effect yeah basic from scene one when we don't see the joker or batman's face in the initial scene in arkham and it's it's really really powerful. So now it's is this this is the final flashback. So the final flashback is they're actually going through with the heist at the chemical plant, and since Jack worked there, they added security. So security guard shows up that they weren't expecting. So at this point, everything goes wrong. The two gangsters get killed. And the police are there, and then Batman shows up, and the cops like are like, it's that human bat. So it's it's a throwback to the really early stories. And Red Hood gets so scared, and he's like, no, it's not what it looks like, but his voice is so muffled. And Batman chasing him down, he falls in a vat of chemicals, washes up outside, takes the hood off, and sees his reflection, and he starts laughing at it. And this is when we get a panel of the green hair, a horrifying, scary face, and the background is the laugh effect and not yeah. a word bubble. One of the greatest Joker drawings. It's ever. probably the iconic Joker panel yep. ever. And it's really, it shows that, like, it's not just his dialogue now. His whole world has gone insane. His yeah. entire background is just laughter now. And that's obviously the end of the flashbacks because we have the Joker now. Yeah. And now Commissioner Gordon's locked in a cage and Joker gives a whole nother long monologue about how one of the most rare and tragic of nature's mistake is the common man or the average man. And he's basically saying that regular people are the most absurd thing there is, and everyone should just go crazy with how random and terrible real life is. How can anyone stand to be normal and sane? And given the flashbacks that we see, we see that put in pretty stark contrast of, like, Anyone can lose their mind, given these circumstances. 
So this is when Batman shows up. I just wanted to add that it's it's another really cool thing that Moore does where Joker is talking about, like, how can anyone do this? And he says, who can blame them in a world as psychotic as this? Any other response would be crazy, like, other than to go crazy. And it's yeah. as Batman's driving up, it shows, like, the, the Batmobile, and it shows, like, it's it's kind of echoing that Batman's crazy, too, because he had such tragedy befall him that he had to resort to this. And the Batmobile is is a crazy looking Batmobile. Yeah, yeah I, I, like I just, this big Batman face on the front. It's actually the nineteen fifties Batman. Like this whole story feels like it's very inspired by the classic comics, which is probably why he goes to like a card company. The flashback, yeah, right. why it's at a circus, yep. and stuff right, like right. that. And then Batman and the Joker start fighting, and it, the narration is the monologue from the beginning. You know, I've been thinking lately about you and me, about what's going to happen to us at the end, like who's going to kill who, kind of thing, and. The Joker gets away, and Batman goes to console Jim Gordon. And I do really, really like this moment that even though the Joker just crippled one of Batman's partners, he still goes to console his friend, letting the Joker run away. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, Jim Gordon, this is the first dialogue we've had with him since, you know, the horrible craziness. And he says, you have to go after him, but I want him brought in by the book. We have to show him that our way works. Yeah. And this is something that this scene is echoed time and time again after this of Batman trying to cross the line or even in certain stories, Jim Gordon trying to cross the line and the other one bringing them back from the brink. And I don't think it's ever done this well. And it's it's really it just shows that, like, you can't let him win. Yeah. And it's it's awesome. So now Batman goes through a bunch of crazy Traps, you know, falls into almost falls into a pit of spikes, funhouse mirrors. There's all these laughing faces in the back. Yeah, classic creepy Joker kind of death traps, and bat and he's giving this re- this my favorite monologue in the whole book. Mine too. Do you want to talk about it then, Slay? He says to Batman, "I mean, you're not unintelligent. You must see the reality of the situation. Do you know how many times we've come close to World War Three over a flock of geese on the computer screen?" Do you know what trade the last world war? An argument over how many telegraph poles Germany owed its war debt creditors. Telegraph poles, ha 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 It's all a joke. Everything anyone ever valued or struggled for is all a monstrous demented gag. So why can't you see the funny side? Why aren't you laughing? And that panel is the first time Joker's not smiling. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, that's that was it stood out to me so much reading this that I've never seen the Joker not smiling. And oh, actually, he's also not smiling when he's thinking when he's looking at that reflection and thinking about his wife yep. yeah yeah but here like he looks like like very weird like almost like eerie because he's he's actually sad well it's a it's the sad clown effect it's one of the most uncomfortable things that humanity has mm-hmm. produced and is the sad clown and like the monologue is so great too because he talks about how like it everyone is just one bad day away from insanity and how like yeah He's like, it happened to me, and I bet it happened to you too, Batman. You wouldn't have gotten this bat costume and run around beating up criminals unless either your brother was killed by a mugger or, you know, your girlfriend got robbed or whatever. Killed by mobsters. Yeah, because he's saying the only thing that could make Batman make sense is some horrible tragedy that totally unhinged you. And he says, like, the only thing between me and the rest of the world is one bad day. Yep. Is that the, is this the multiple choice scene, or is that... 
Yeah, he has motion yes. sickness. Yeah. yeah. He right. also, yeah. this is one of Alan Moore's, I think, most brilliant ideas for it, is he gives this whole origin in flashbacks, and then he says, something like that happened to me, you know. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what it was. Sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. If I'm going to have a past, I prefer it to be multiple choice. Yeah. So it shows that while this is a Joker origin, it's not necessarily the Joker origin. Yeah. The, and this... Uh... The multiple choice line makes me really like the sepia like filter on the earlier flashbacks, because uh, to me like everything like the only thing that's in color is the red hood suit, and to me that means that everything else is like malleable. Where like like it's him remembering it, but everything that's not in color probably might not have happened. So like yeah, like he's only remembering certain details, yeah. and everything else is just yeah. I've never not thought of it like that. that. Like the the black and white, you can as the story goes on, like it. At least when I saw it, or when I looked at it, it looked like the CPU filter was fading as it got closer and closer to him becoming the Joker. It is, yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's becoming clearer and clearer, but it's not what happened, or not necessarily what happened. So, that, mm-hmm. that kind of explains why they're going through the chemical plant into a card factory, because that doesn't really make any sense. So, like, maybe that's just... That's just how his, the Joker justifies yeah. it. Yeah. And that's like in the like you were saying in the with the sepia tone. The only the first batch of non red color we see is the Joker's hair and suit when yeah. he first takes the hood off. Yeah. yeah. And like I, I I never really thought of it as the red hood is the only constant that yeah. definitely happened. And that's just such a that's such a cool effect. Yeah. So then Sly, you mentioned the end of the monologue when Joker goes, Why aren't you laughing? Do you yeah. love Batman's response as much as I do? Yes, Batman breaks two because uh, there's a hall of mirrors. So Batman breaks two one of the mirrors, and after Joker says, "Why aren't you laughing?" Batman says, "Because I've heard it before, and it wasn't funny the first time." And he starts beating up Joker. Yeah, <laughs> and he he throws him out the window. He disarms him. He takes away you know he takes away his poison like pinprick on his hand, and Joker like three stooges like pokes him in the eyes. And pulls down his cowl. Yeah, he pulls down his cowl, pokes him in the eyes, bonks him on the head of the stick. But Batman obviously gets the upper hand and knocks the Joker out. Joker pulls out a pistol, goes to shoot him. Classic bang flag. Says it's click, also click. Uh, the gun they used to shoot Barber. It looks exactly like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like, it's like the same kind same of panel. Yeah. And and I love Joker's like surprised that it doesn't go <laughs> yeah. off. <laughs> yeah, he goes, God damn it, it's empty. And this is when he looks sad again. He actually looks like the most human I think I've ever seen the Joker. And he's just like, okay, you're going to kick the hell out of me now and and be the big hero. And he's like, no, Jim wanted me to do this by the book, showing that you lose. Jim is still a sane man. It's not one day, one bad day away that it's maybe it's not the world. that's crazy. Maybe it's just you. Maybe you're the only one who can't handle the stress. And then he, he reiterates the themes from the beginning. We're locked onto a suicide course, both of us to the death Maybe I can help you. Maybe together we can fix what's broken inside both of us. And it's, I feel like this story wouldn't work now that we've had so many stories of the Joker being like this godlike serial killer. But back then when like the biggest story he was in at the time was when he made all the fish have Joker faces. (laughs) Yeah. Like you can get away with it here that him shooting Barbara was like a, the first time he's really been a monster in a very long time. So Batman basically is like, we don't have to kill each other. We can help each other. Hey, you know, you're saying he's not a monster, but the ecological effects of doing that to all those fish is pretty serious, Ryan. <laughs> you want people to eat yeah. those fish. <laughs> it's not sanitary. That's true. 
That was like a first joke in like like thirty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to lighten it up. It's not it's not a funny story. Hey, but I thought it was a killing joke. <laughs> well, here comes the joke. So Joker's like, no, it's it's too late for that. It's too late for me. But you know, it's funny. This reminds me of a joke. See, there were these two guys in a lunatic asylum, echoing the opening line of you know the yeah. that's the first line of the book. Mm-hmm. And one night they they decide they don't like living in asylum anymore. They decide they're going to escape. So, like, they get up onto the roof, and there, just across this narrow gap, they see the rooftops of the town stretching away in the moonlight, stretching away to freedom. Now, the first guy, he jumps right across with no problem, but his friend, his friend daren't make the leap. You see, he's afraid of falling. So the first guy has an idea. He says, hey, I have my flashlight with me. I'll shine it across the gap between the buildings. You can walk along the beam and join me. The second guy just shakes his head. He says, what do you think I am, crazy? You just turn it off when I'm halfway across. And the Joker erupts in laughter. And then there's one panel of Batman, very serious. And then he, like, gives this smirk and just says, heh. And then he starts laughing really, really hard, puts his hands on Joker's shoulders, and then it zooms out and goes back to what was originally the light. At the very beginning of the book, we see a puddle, you know, in the rain, and we see lights, and then the police coming to, you know, save the day. But echoing the Batmobile lights, and it's... Both of them laughing as, you know, the police close on them. And it's that's the end. That's the end of the book. The end. So is that joke supposed to be that Batman is the first guy who was crazy, went to the other side, and he's asked, he's basically saying to the Joker, I'll shine the light. And he's like, what do you think I am, crazy? I think that's his way of being like, yeah. hey, I'll rehabilitate you. Yeah. We can help each other. And Joker's like, no. It's just as crazy as my idea that you're going to not do it right you're gonna turn off the light halfway but you could also say it works the other way where joker is trying to drag batman into crazy town with this crazy with all his crazy schemes and batman saying no i'm not gonna follow you i'm gonna stay in the asylum Mm -hmm. where i feel like i'm not crazy oh yeah maybe that's pretty good too i like i like the ambiguity of his ending honestly and that last panel or, or one of the last panels where he's like grabbing the Joker and they're ha 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 from Batman he he from the Joker like at first I thought he was like choking him and then Daryl mentioned that some people theorize that like he it seems like he killed the Joker there yeah, yeah. Grant Morrison thinks that and he wrote Batman for years and years he thinks that Batman kills the Joker and I, I could totally see that because it, it you know it's it looks like kind of like his hands are on his shoulders but also Batman's also like leaning in yeah like also as the laughter fades away you can't tell who's laughing because it's not word bubbles. It's just ha ha ha. Yeah. yeah. So it could just be Batman laughing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's true because, like, why would Batman kill the Joker when his greatest villain is Onomatopoeia? <laughs> oh, man. Jesus. Yeah, J- Joker is just like a third rate villain. I don't know it's, if he's a true. It's because he, uh, can't, yeah. he can't kill Onomatopoeia. Onomatopoeia is um, going to kill him. He's killing yeah, Joker I'm, for practice. Onomatopoeia yeah, okay. is too popular. No one likes a Joker. <laughs> no, he's also unbeatable. Yeah. Okay, so first, I just want to give quick judgments on the book. Everyone thinks it's pretty great. Yeah. 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 The, the the Barbara Gordon stuff can be iffy, but overall, the book is fantastically written. Those are personal problems I have. Yeah, I think, I think it doesn't avoid, like, it still frigids Barbara to push Batman's story along and Jim Gordon's. I think that's the problem. You can recognize that it's like, it, she probably should have been better fleshed out or something but it's still like uh, she had enough flesh out that's <laughs> yeah that's true as a 40 page story it's pretty concise and it's pretty good as is and i, I do want to also add to that that it's uh we were talking a little bit about how 
towing the line between being an edge lord and being just edgy a little bit. Where how if Mark Millar wrote this, it might have been like, yeah, Joker stripped her and then impregnated her with her brother's <laughs> child and all this yeah. stuff. Where here. In front of Joker's wife, and then and yeah. then it would never come up again. Like that's the thing is yeah. here a terrible thing happens to Barbara, but then it becomes a central uh, it's a central goal of his to drive Commissioner Gordon crazy using that terrible thing he did. Yeah. Whereas in an Edge Lord story, that shit happens and then it just never gets brought up because it doesn't matter. It was just there to shock you and then move on. And you try and like turn it to yeah. eleven. Like this doesn't need any kind of. Uh, sexual assault on Barbara to still this is still horrific and still vile we don't need to I mean I've that. always interpreted it as there's implied sexual assault there but yeah that, you know that, that's true it's, it doesn't it's have to be yeah. it doesn't you know, I, we don't need to sit through a 20 minute rape scene yeah, yeah. but that's because Alan Moore knows how to write subtlety and Mark Millar does not fuck you Mark Millar if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> but this question of um Barbara Gordon and her being fridged as the term for when a female character is killed or uh, hurt just to make a male character's story progress mm. yeah. uh, is relevant because Bruce Timm, uh, Brian actually he's a hipster because he has a problem with his book and no one else does, but Bruce Timm, the fucking producer of Killing Joke, had the same problem. I didn't Both say I think I'm a hipster. I, don't, I didn't say I, I know, but you're like, like, oh, I'm with you. love the story, Sly. I, I, I'm, I'm unique, special story for Snowflake. No, but this is... I think it's it's ridiculous to say that this is not one of the most beloved. It is, but, but most but most people acknowledge this flaw, acknowledge the flaw of yeah. bad girl. Most people do, yeah. and Bruce Tim is one of them. He said, uh, "I didn't like the way they treated bad girl. It's a good story, but like I didn't like the way they treated bad girl. I want to flesh her out more." Bruce Tim is the producer, is the guy who created. Uh, he was the artist whose style was used for uh, the Batman animated uh, cartoons but and he, for not all just those his style. He's the one who did the. Like storyboards and stuff for it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, his style used for it. But his storyboards used for it. He was a producer on it. Uh, so the whole DC animated universe, a lot of DC animated films that came out recently, like uh, the Flashpoint Paradox, you mentioned in the Flashpoint episode, they're all done by Bruce Timm. So he's a he has a pretty prestigious pedigree in this stuff. And the writer Brian Ezrella is a writer I generally like. He's hit or miss kind of, but uh, some of the he's stuff... written a lot of amazing stuff, but most of his Batman stuff is not great. And like he did, uh, it's funny because this is his second shitty follow-up to an Alan Moore story because he also did the before Watchmen prequel comics, and his are supposedly the worst. So maybe yeah. he just hates Alan Moore. Maybe, maybe he's doing this on purpose. He just wants to keep tainting Alan Moore's legacy. Yeah, he wants to keep Alan Moore's taint. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna go through it quickly because partially because it's not that memorable, and or the first half isn't, and second because we've been talking for a while. So. The movie is basically two movies. It feels like yeah. two episodes of a show. Yeah. They're so not connected. They pretend it's one movie, but it's the most disjointed cut between two an act one and act two that I've ever seen in every, anything ever. Including Fantastic Four. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And what's interesting is act two is The Killing Joke, and act one is something else. So this movie's called The Killing Joke, but act one opens up with, instead of the rain scene, complete silence going to the asylum, it's Batgirl narrating. Saying, hey. She explicitly says, I know this isn't how you expected to start the movie, right? And I was like, you're right, Batgirl. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah, so instead of that whole, like, serious set piece where you're, like, in dead silence at night in the rain, it's her and Batman, like, having a chase scene on the highway after some truck. And, you know, you have guns, these police are shooting at this truck, and then you ha- we introduce 
great villain, Nemesis Jr. or Anamatopoeia or whatever, because he's basically one of those asshole cheater villains that I fucking hate. His name is Paris France. Yeah. Okay. Hans. It's France. Paris Francesco or something? Paris Francesco. Yeah, it's Paris Francesco, but they call him Paris France, which is the <laughs> fucking stupidest. God. Like, you can get away with that in, like, 1958. This movie just came out today. Yeah. Also, it's an adaptation of one of the darkest... Yeah, yeah. like... But the, the I want to say, like, when you start reading The Killing Joke, you know this is a very serious thing. But at the beginning of the movie, it's not. It's like a, a, a standard, like, it would be in a TAS episode where Batman and Batgirl, it's even animated the same way, actually, as TAS. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. animated show. And they they start chasing this guy. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, It's just funny because TAS is always the animated series. Yes. And calling it the animated show also works. Yeah, I meant, yeah. To, I meant to people who don't know what TAS is, I'm talking about the show. So, you know, they try to catch this guy. He gets away because he's such a clever, cheating, fucking asshole villain. And But he, he hits on Batgirl while he gets away. Yes. Yeah. He kiss, He blows a kiss. He's like, his Batgirl fetish. Yeah. Oh, man. He's also really calm the whole time. Yep. Like, Batgirl's, like, at the window of the truck, and he's just smiling. Police are shooting at him. Batman is on his tail, and he just... <laughs> He's like, yeah, okay, Batman, I guess we you know, lose the truck. And it he, happens. He turns to his other henchmen. He's like, this must be your first chase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as if everyone gets chased by Batman. He turns like, to his yeah. henchmen and goes, it's a living. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I thought, like, uh, with this scene, was just going to be, like, a brief intro to show that Batgirl exists before becoming crippled. But yeah. no, it kept going. It's 30 minutes long. And, and it's mostly this... Just bat- okay, I, I understand the point. They're probably trying to flesh out Black- Batgirl before they cripple her. Black girl. But... It sucks. It sucks because half of the scenes are her in the library with her sassy gay friend who's like, hey, uh, how's... stereotypical sassy gay friend, like, home, girlfriend. He is the most stereotypical sassy gay friend We gotta get I've you ever fucked seen. back. And though. she's like, she's like, oh, I'm having problems with my yoga instructor, meaning Batman. And he's like, oh, tell me about it. And he, she just tells him, like, you know, he doesn't really listen to me. He told me not to chase villains. I mean, he told me uh, he just doesn't really listen to my emotion, my feelings. We've seen this, like, analogy where in, like, a lot of superhero comics where people pretend it's not a superhero thing. But this makes no sense. Because, like, they imply that she has, like, a crush on him, yeah. on the yoga instructor. And he's like, just go to a different yoga place. She's like, there are no other yoga places. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm the he, best student he's ever had. Yeah. yeah it's really weird. But, but, but what happens is first, like, uh, they have the first uh, chase scene where they're on the truck and trying to chase after the guy. And I do want to point out the animation in this movie uh, is not theater quality, despite this being no. in theaters. No, it is yeah. not. It's, it's, it's literally a, a animated series episode. Like It, it really yeah. looks like that. Yeah. It kind of looks like, a, I guess, more realistic Young Justice. I could see that, or like if Young Justice meant injustice, uh, meant injustice, and it's kind of like that. Stylistically, art style. yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, how about Cry for Justice? <laughs> Plus, a little Cry for Justice. Justice is blind. It's just us, guys. It's just us. <laughs> I don't know if it's worth going through the Paris Jackson. No, I do need was. to. I do need to tell how <laughs> they. I'm going to summarize what happens in his story. Basically, Batgirl is going after him, and he has a crush on her. So they ha- and, and they- he keeps sending her like Snapchats. He's yeah. he's the nephew of the Some mob, mob boss. boss. Yeah, and and like he, his obsession with her, they have to show how obsessed he is by having. First of all, he has sex with all these prostitutes who he makes them wear Batgirl masks. Oh Jesus! And yeah. 
Then not even good ones. Yeah, they just cut a pillowcase up. Yeah, yeah. And she is, just falls for all his tricks, and he's like, "Meet me here." And obviously, it's a trap. And he is somehow the most he, he can outplan Batman and Batgirl and the police constantly. He reminded me of Nemesis the whole time. He literally has the police bust in on him with three seconds left on a bomb, fucking Nemesis style. <laughs> Oh, wow, well, no, that, that is the mob. style. Yeah, it was the mob. Oh, it was the mob. Yeah. He ambushes Batman with personally using an RPG and blowing the Batmobile up. Like, <laughs> give me a fucking break. This guy's like the best yeah. planner in the world. I I really, I really hated him. And he, his whole thing was just there to show Batgirl wanted to stop him, and Batman was overprotective of her, especially after, guess what? He bangs her. Yeah, it's fucking really weird. Batman, like, forbids her. He's like, you, young lady, you can't be on this case. And she's like, fuck you, dad. You're letting your ego cloud your judgment, so I'm gonna let my ego cloud my judgment. Also, can I just point out how weird this is? That the writers put in a line where Batman goes, he's objectifying you. But, like, so is this fucking movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's so aware of how shitty it is. That, like, having Batman explicitly point out, and even there's a part where she fights him, and he just keeps being like, I guess it's that time of the month. Yeah. And, oh. like, it's weird that it's it's painting this guy as, like, a super chauvinist, but at the same time, the movie is treating Batgirl like she's easily won over by this guy, she's not as good as Batman. And she's a pining for love for Batman, She she's, like, a lovesick teenager yeah she has daddy she also has daddy issues because batman acts like her dad but then she fucks him and and the sassy gay friend is like oh you like bad boys huh when when he's when she's going after the villain and she doesn't say anything in response like she's like yeah i guess also the the sex scene itself is really weird where like they're fighting because batman's trying to fire her and then she, like, knocks him down and climbs on top of him. She's like, enough. And then they, she just makes out with him and they fuck while this creepy gargoyle watches. They fight They fight a while beforehand, I want to bring up. Like, it was, like, a violent escalation of her trying to yeah. beat him up and him just, like, dodging her attacks or blocking them until she knocks him down. And then the, she's just like, I'm going to kiss you now. She doesn't say it. She just does it. <laughs> yeah. So it goes, from, can... it goes from violence to sex in a second. Also... After they have sex, it becomes like the like almost like rom com level. Oh my god! Where it's drama. like she's she's talking to the sassy gay friend about like oh it was fantastic it was like fireworks but now it's weird. He's avoiding she me. She even calls him. Yeah, she's like he's avoiding me, and she calls him and she's like it's just sex. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and I'm like, how is this? The whole time I'm watching this, like, how is this gonna lead to the killing? That's girl? what I was thinking. This is awful. I was like, what does this? When she called him and it was saying like it's just sex, Batman. I was like, how can this? be the killing joke movie and they try and make it like quippy and fun yeah they try to make it quippy and fun but the script sucks yeah yeah batman buys her coffee at one point <laughs> and it's so goofy because it's yeah. batman in the bat suit with like a starbucks cup yeah and he goes tough day huh kid and she's just like yeah paris france beat me up in a warehouse <laughs> where did he get that coffee where, where did he get it he bought it <laughs> i just want to bring i just want to bring up uh though that Bruce Tim has a Batgirl Batman fetish. Uh, apparently, just like cuckolding and Mark Millar. Because um, <laughs> that was in like, Batman Beyond too, right? Yeah, guess what I was about to say. Because uh, in the comics, this, uh, Batgirl is, a, is typically a girlfriend of Robin Nightwing, Dick Grayson. So like, Robin is, in the movie is basically fucking his son's girlfriend. And, well, uh, Sean, I think this is the best time to bring this up. Sean and I were actually thinking about like, we look at Batman like a super like grown up guy, but when you really think about it, let's say he started being Batman at twenty five, and Barbara's usually in college. 
So she's like, let's say 19. Then she's been Batgirl for like three years. So he's really probably like 30 and she's like 23, 24. It's not that weird. But he's probably when like you... 28 and she's probably like 22. It's, sure. more, it's more the relationship established. Between it's them. more the relationship. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing is having her be the love interest of Robin who's always a little kid next to Batman and Batman's never drawn like a 28-year-old. He always looks like a 40-year-old. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's it just... 40-year-old virgin. That's how you want to get Batgirl. <laughs> In theory, it shouldn't be weird, but it is so weird. So th- that whole... Th- th- the whole act one of the movie is basically that. It's drama between her and Batman. She's like, I, you don't have to be overprotective of me. I just... Whatever. It's just blah, 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 blah. And then they... She comes into her own and catches Paris, France. Beats him to hell. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, Paris France is supposed to be like her Joker, which is yeah. weird and dumb. Yeah, and also they mention because um, Batman says like, "Oh, uh, uh, you you're staring to the abyss, and when you're staring to the abyss, it changes you, and you come become evil. Uh, you can't do that." And uh, Batgirl, it pisses me off because this could have been a chance to explore Batgirl's character, and make her uh, more of a character story. And it's just her the reason the way she explores the abyss in the story is she gets mad that Batman dumped her. And she gets pissed off at Paris as being a shadow of him. And says, you ruined my relationship with Batman. Fuck you. And that's why yeah. she fucking beats up Paris. And that's why that's her staring into the abyss right there. And yeah. that's why she... And then after that, she retires. Yeah. So, like, she quits. She basically is supposed to... She, they're pretending she's, like, a strong female character. But she quits her career because a guy told her to. Her yeah. story revolves around two men. Yeah. And there's a scene where she's coming home from running after retiring... The camera literally, I mean, the, the camera, it's like a drawing, but it's literally just her butt, and then it scrolls up to her boobs, and then it's like... That's, I was actually, I was gonna just say that, that, like, they spend this whole time supposedly building up her character, and then there's a TNA shot of her jogging. Yeah. Why? Yeah, they're literally like, they're like, isn't she pretty hot? Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you bang her? And I want to bring up, this is especially weird, because the killing joke happens after this, which <laughs> yeah. has Barbara stripped naked and taken photos of, and we already, like, talk about that there's, like... A, the blurry line of sexual violence introduced that's uncomfortable and in the first 30 minutes sexualizing barbara gordon yeah and having her like sleep with batman and everything like it's just it's it's too much yeah i feel like you, definitely you, you shouldn't be like sitting there being idolizing her and having like some guy talk about how hot she is and sending her pictures and banging people who dressed up as her yeah and here's the thing when i first when this movie first started I was like, I was immediately like, oh, I actually really appreciate this effort. I mean, when it first started that like, you're going to build up Batgirl. Mm -hmm. So it's not just fridging. Like you're going to tell a big Batgirl story and it ended up making it so much worse. Yeah. And that's such a weird thing to do. There's also like the movie has an implied isolation to it where it's like, oh, like I'm going to get the DVD and that's it. And you can argue that for like the same way with the trade, but it being a comic, there's a lot more of an open, like, oh, I could read, and especially since you said there was, like, a lead in the last Batgirl story, there's a much more implied, like, hey, there's characterization for Babs outside of the story, where the movie is in itself very isolated. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting point, because we debate this all the time, is can you judge a story based on previous stories with the characters yeah. and i feel like i switch sides every time we argue about it yeah i feel i was so i want to bring that up because it's a really good point because i want to bring up the exact thing sean and i think right i like ryan i switch my opinions on this kind of too uh i do feel uh, with killing joke you know i i know batgirl is a character so when i read killing joke the first time when i was younger 
I knew there'll be stuff that I'll follow up on. I knew there was um, a shared universe here, and that a character that important will not just be dropped. That should be elaborated on later. And, and I was more forgiving on it. And now, as I read it, we read it later on, I did feel uh, you have to judge on its own. On its own, this story in particular does make Barbara stand out uh, worse. But I, uh, but the movie is a good argument for why Shear Universe does work because I had the same problem with Superman, uh, the Death of Superman movie that Bruce Tim also produced. And in both cases... That movie was something. Yeah, uh, but it's funny because the DC movies I love are books I hated. Like, I hated Flashpoint. I loved the anime movie. I hated Justice League Earth 2. I loved the movie. Uh, so, like, when they change stuff in the books, I'm less judgmental on it. So it might just be I'm just judgmental in general. But whenever it adapts something I love, this I just notice... This just didn't. just judgmental yeah. in general. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, I just noticed, I noticed that... Like, with Death of Superman, I noticed... When you take away it being like a universal, this is Superman, this is Superman, you know, Superman. You can, or when or you said this, that, I just heard the Nightmare Before Christmas. Me this too. Is Halloween. This is Superman. This is Superman. <laughs> this is Superman. This is Batman. But like, you, you, like the only way to do those these movies properly is to make it feel like it's a universal Batman story. I feel like the comic does that, where it feels like this could, this is just Batman, and this is just a Batman story, while the movie. It's setting up its own lore of background Batman as a boyfriend girlfriend type. It doesn't really establish them clear enough to. If if it was just stuff in the comics, I'll, I'll feel the universality will make it better rather than trying to set a continuity that's weird. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I actually, it's my opinion on the book. I was actually harsher on it at the beginning because I read it only knowing Batgirl, but. Because it's a shared continuity, when they take her paralysis and run with it in the comics and create the character Oracle, I didn't really like Batgirl that much. I was, like, totally neutral on her, and I love Oracle. So, like, you can even take... Because Alan Moore doesn't fully fridge her and doesn't kill her, they actually... Oracle became the most beloved, like, handicapped character in comic books. If not, like, fiction in general. Like... Barbara Gordon in a wheelchair is a lot of people's favorite character. Uh, Professor X. Yep, that's true. I forgot about Professor X. So, so just to finish off this movie, uh, we shouldn't go through the whole second half, um, but it's should... it's almost line for line. The dialogue is all line for line from the comic. The... No, yeah. not all. Not all? There's, there's a lot of word for word in it, but it's not precisely word for word. Like, there's the whole throw the book at him section. Yeah, that was different. And there's, I, I brought this up to Phil, that whenever they flash back, they do not keep the same image, like, of Joker looking at the fat lady and then to the pregnant lady. Instead, they just, like, cut... Yeah, they lose every single good transition, actually. I do want to bring up, uh, Daryl mentioned uh, throw the book section. There is a section of this movie where Joker says, there's like a piece of shit out there who breaks the law, who's crazy, and all this stuff. And uh, what should we do? And they ask Gordon, like, it's like a mock trial, basically. And Gordon is like put in the role of the prosecutor, kind of. And every single viewer from a mile away is like, oh, he's actually talking about Batman. Yeah, yeah. and this, this, this is such a cliche fucking concept from other shit, shitty stories that I fucking didn't need to be in this story, too. The thing that I do like about that, and I know you guys are all going to say I'm a fucking idiot. Right before that... I will say that regardless of what you should say, Ryan. Yeah, just you're a fucking idiot no matter what, so... But yeah. one of the things that... Aside, the throw of the book in the scene is really cliched and dumb. But right before that, he yells, order in the court. And then he says, order in the court. I'll have a ham on rye. And the reason why I like that line 
not only because it's a joke about sandwiches and everybody knows I love jokes about sandwiches, but like I said in the book, the whole book has these jokes that are really uncomfortable and I wish that they cut from, I wish they really, really cut that book scene way shorter to just have this weird joke. And even Joker's like, it doesn't have to be a good joke to be a classic. Like, and it's just so uncomfortable about it. And that, if that transition right to the musical number, which is also really, really uncomfortable and creepy and like Joker's dancing and singing the same song that's in the book as if it's like fun, but the visuals are so creepy. And that actually was one of the things that I liked the most about the movie was and it is taken right from the book, but seeing the visual of the camp with the creepiness worked. I think that scene works, the musical number, personally. I I, I liked having music to it, as opposed to just in the comic. You know, you don't really get to hear how it would sound. But yeah. I'm not sure if they, he conveyed the creepiness of the carnival enough. Um, it yeah, it so. starts not creepy, but then it gets pretty creepy. But I think one of the things that you mentioned before was it's the juxtaposition that they can't, they don't do in the in the movie, which yeah. is definitely fair. I didn't like the music number. Yeah, and that was another thing that was different because it, when it happens in the book, it's from the eyes of Gordon just sitting in the trolley with those like weird creatures behind him, and as they're going, that's along, true. Like, that's it, true. Like I I expected to hear it like through a speaker. And that's why it's like when it became an actual musical number, where it was like Joker dancing around with all of the uh, the carnival freaks. It was it was like it felt like it took too much away from the scene. It should have been about Gordon suffering and not knowing what's going to happen, and like why is he singing and what like the fear. That's of fair. That's the fair. pictures of Barbara coming up next, and also even as someone who liked it, it did go on twice as long as it should have. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think there's there's one made there's only one change I really liked. Um, when Batman is looking for Commissioner Gordon. Uh, oh, this is it, totally Sean's thing, too. <laughs> instead of the silence of the panels, it's him beating up a guy, and the guy says, I swear to God, I don't know. And he goes, swear to me. <laughs> From Batman Begins. And the Batman guy goes, Begins. I swear to you, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this means. <laughs> there's one other really short thing. We really skimmed over the fact that there's a scene in the movie where Batman goes to a bunch of prostitutes, and they're like, every time the Joker breaks out, he comes and fucks us. Yeah. yeah, that does oh, yeah. happen. Yep, and that is. speaking of voice acting choices, I was looking up the the voice actresses and voice actors of this of this movie. They have some pretty big name voice actresses for those prostitutes, which I don't understand. Like, why cast? Why pay money for? They probably just wanted to be in the Killing Joke because oh, okay. it's so iconic. I guess. Yeah, but like, it's just that level of like prostitutes giggling about the joker is one of the only added things to the killing joke adaptation part this, this is why when you guys were like it's word for word the last half i'm like no it's not <laughs> you're saying joker's having sex with prostitutes that's true and that's just this like stuff. this guy's this guy's obviously at this point in the movie canon a super serial killer and they're like he he, he, he has sex with he, us uh, he makes them wear batman masks does he? That's actually no. That's it's true. Joker's seen his shaft. It's confirmed. Yeah. Ask Sean. He was one of those yeah. men wearing I was, Batman masks. I was the geekly one. Sean was that top paid voice actor you yeah. mentioned. Yeah, yeah. But it's just that weird, like sexualizing it even more than it is. Yeah. That is so bizarre. Okay, so what do you want to talk about, Phil or Daryl? I want to bring up that it's. As, as much as we're, like, lambasting the movie, it is really difficult to go from a comic or graphic novel and to adapt it to cinema. Yeah, to I film. was actually... Why do you think that is? I was, I was actually talking to... We were talking about this earlier, and, like, I mentioned how when we... When Watchmen came out, 
how there are certain parts of that of that graphic novel that are like kind of literally impossible to make into a film, like the the Doctor Manhattan on Mars with the photo scene. How there's in a in a comic, it has the advantage of being able to use imagery in a in still frame imagery to convey something that you can't just have a, a, a picture that's not moving on in a movie. And there are scenes like when the Joker is having Commissioner Gordon go through the roller coaster and the it's badoom, it opens. Batman is, you know, holding a, a thug up to a picture of the Joker. Doing badoom. his aggressive investigations. Yeah. And that kind of scene, to have complete silence in a movie for that whole time wouldn't have worked. But in the comic, you can have one image of Batman holding up a thug to a picture of the Joker and the reader knows what's going on here. And like uh, with the with the music scene, with the music scene, you can't really, you couldn't have it be the same way as it is in the book because yeah. like the book has the benefit of being able to fit like four or five word bubbles in, in what is instantaneous time. Inst- yeah, where like you can there can be nine pictures of Barbara obscured by each other or word bubbles where you the reader gets the thing, but you can't have word bubbles in. The movie, and if it were to stick on Jim Gordon's view, it would add extra, like, you would, it would add having to look at those pictures, which wouldn't really work. Yeah. Unless it just stayed on naked Jim Gordon's face while, like, yeah. weird baby men stabbed him. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the song itself is only, like, two pages, I think. Yeah. But in the, sh- in the movie, it feels so long, because, like, even though it's the same length of time narratively... Your the movie has to spend more time on it for it to fit with the length of time that the yeah. ride is. But the like you said, the book can get away with the reader un- inherently understanding the passage of time between. Panels. Yeah, there's yeah. there's another example I wanted to bring up about how um, flexible like uh, comics and graphic novels are as a medium because there's this one scene where in the flashback where Joker's talking to his wife and he mentions their landlord or landlady, Mrs. Burkus. And it's just, it's one frame of this crazy cat lady, like, she has bows in her hair and, like, this old cat in her arms. And it's able to establish, like, it gives you an idea of who a person is or what their life's like through just, like, a single flash of imagery. And in the movie, they mention Mrs. Burkus, but they don't show her or anything, so you have no idea who she is. Because he's just like, oh, Mrs. Burkus won't let us stay here for another three months. Yeah. And in the book, it helps establish, like, that, what I was saying before, of, like, the jokes on Jack kind of thing. Because she's, like, not portrayed in a positive light, and even she scowls at him and judges him. And in the movie, if they were to cut to her while he's explaining how she's like, judges him, it would feel like a Family Guy cutaway gag. Yeah. yeah. Like, there's no way to naturally show her during that conversation. The closer you get to directly adapting something, the more you can point out where it strays. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's how I felt watching The Killing Joke. I was like, this is this is almost a pretty good adaptation. The last the last half, not the first 30 minutes. Yeah, obviously. And like this is almost a pretty good adaptation, but like there just wasn't it was just inferior the whole time to That's the, the thing joke to me itself. this this kind of adaptation begs the question, why would someone watch this instead of read the book? They hate comics but love Batman. <laughs> I hate comics and I, I like the book. I hate comics. <laughs> this, is, this is honestly why I think the most successful Alan Moore film is V for Vendetta because um, it, it tries to take the Wachowski style more than Alan Moore dark 
horror style they have in the books. It tries to do its own thing. It doesn't try to be completely faithful. And while I'm not the biggest fan of it personally, I appreciate it more than the Watchmen film or this because uh, both Watchmen and this, they feel so close, but th- that only highlights their flaws. Like in Watchmen, uh, Zack Snyder got the visuals so right, but he missed, but then because he got the visuals so right, only highlighted how much he missed the, the subtext of those scenes. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sean, do you have any final thoughts, Sean? Because you speak, spoke the last, least out of all of us. Uh, no. I don't have anything to say. <laughs> Thanks for adding this episode. You said you had so much to talk about and you fucking did nothing. <laughs> I did not. Ryan said that. Ryan, you fucking liar. You fucking ruined this episode of all your shit. Sorry. I said a joke about how Batman <laughs> bought coffee once. And that was that was enough well, to get me on the show. Well, we were talking about it while we were watching it. Yeah, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Apologize again. Hey, I don't... Hey, this... The Killing Joke didn't affect me as much as Howard the Duck did. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just had more to say about Howard the Duck. So, we don't have any letters. Fuck you guys, shit fans. Don't I, tell us I said some stuff. Yeah, no. Sean's a good. Same here. Same good to job, my Sean. face. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, if you guys want to write us Divisive Issues on Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, all that jazz, rate, review us, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Not going to give you my handle. Figure it out. <laughs> Be a detective like Batman. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to mention very briefly is, Daryl, you have books. How can people buy those books? Those people can buy my books by going to NovelGraphics.com. It's Novel-Graphics.com. You can also buy... Slice books. Self-promotion. Yeah. They have books for sale there. And I... What kind of books? Are they are they novels or are they graphic novels? They're graphic novels. Oh, graphic? We are talking styles. about... all styles. There's childhood graphic novels that I compiled together, and there's more serious <laughs> stuff. I would highly recommend Minus Existence, but that's just me. I do as well. I do thirdly. Three. <laughs> yep. Three. <laughs> Sign me up. Cool. Yeah. So that's our recommendations. Read Dallas Comics. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually, I couldn't so rec- think of a recommendation, but now I'm going to change mine from nothing to read Minus Existence. It's not really much like The Killing Joke. Oh, maybe talks about madness a little bit. Yeah, a a bit. Bit. there's so some madness in there. That's, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that my recommendation. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys gave me an excuse to put the plugs into the liner notes. <laughs> yeah. All right, my recommendation. We touched upon a little bit, uh, and, and this really highlights how much the movie fucked up. Because, and then after um, the Killing Joke, we talked about how other writers created Oracle. Oracle is basically an attempt to fix what happened with Barbara. Not fix it, but make it a little bit feel more purposeful rather than what happened here. Basically, Barbara became a computer hacker type, and she basically she basically is smarter than Batman. She's more uh, the most technologically savvy uh, character in DC Universe, and basically she becomes like a hub for all the DC superheroes, like the, the Justice League, Batman, all uh, work using Oracle as, like, the computer person, and uh, she becomes a more valuable... Did you almost call her Horacle? It's like... Did I? I? (laughs) Horacle. So, the truth (laughs) slips out. Oracle, more like Horacle, am I right? No, but... Got him. So, are you recommending the premise of a character? (laughs) I'm recommending the 
series that really made her into a headliner of a series, uh, Birds of Prey by Chuck Dixon. It was Birds of Prey is a, is a team of of Oracle and Black Canary. Uh, if you watch Arrow or listen to our Green Arrow reviews in their first three episodes. Uh, yeah. You know, Black Canary was Green Arrow's girlfriend. This, this ha- uh, Birds of Prey happens after Green Arrow died, and basically, uh, Black Black this was Black Canary finding her own identity after being kind of limbo status. And same thing with Oracle. Basically, these two characters basically created their own team together, and they became one of the most uh, probably. Uh, what am I saying? Say uh, female-led the, team. Slide, this episode's yeah, going to take forever if you keep doing. It. Sean, what's your recommendation? My recommendation <laughs> is. Uh, I'm gonna. It's one recommendation that just gets more specific twice. So what? I'm gonna recommend the Ar- Arkham series, which is the series of games made by Rocksteady. Is it one made by Bebop? What? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> Bebop and Rocksteady, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Anyone get it? No, oh, I no. get it. I got it. It was bad, yeah. but I got it. <laughs> I thought it was that, but I wasn't sure. Um, but no, I'm gonna reference. Uh, uh, no, I'm gonna recommend the Arkham series because it's great. I'm going to reference Krang. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then uh, I'm going to recommend Arkham Knights, which is the final entry, which is it's my like favorite Russian doll. My favorite Batman story, hands down, ever. Uh, and then uh, the one that's most tied into this is A Matter of Family. It's the Batgirl DLC that's just like... <laughs> The first half an hour of this done right. And that's it. Okay, cool. Um, so, my recommendation, I'm going to try to keep it short on like, these fucking chuckleheads. Hey! Mine was... I didn't say much. I'm making up for it. <laughs> Mine was short. Okay. Unlike your fucking narrations, you got to make up for it now, right, Ryan? Jesus. So, um, I'm going to recommend another DC animated movie yeah. called Under the Hood. And the reason why I recommend it is it's the story of the death of the second Robin... And the story itself, like The Killing Joke, is very short. And Rob, the whole point of the story is just to kill this character. And what the animated movie actually does is instead of tacking on a really shoehorned bullshit Robin story beforehand, it ties in through flashbacks that Robin's origin and his basically most of his career as Robin. So instead of it being like a Batgirl episode and then The Killing Joke, it's the whole story of his of his death and return culminating with, like, not culminating with flashbacks to his origin and it tells Robin's entire saga without, you know, ever feeling shoehorned and it stays engaging and it doesn't have an act break like this one does. And it's just, it's a real, it's my, it's my favorite Batman movie. And it's also, it's based on one of my favorite Batman comics. So it just, it rules. It's called under the, under the hood or under the red hood. Little red riding hood is what it's called. Yeah. Also the connected to this film, uh, the, the red hood, the villain of, of of this story, the oh villain identity God. of Joe Pizzi is in the story. Uh, <laughs> can't get out of this clown car. <laughs> but I fucky fucky, never mind. I can't fucking talk about anything. Guys, I have another recommendation, guys. Uh, if you like, speaking of shitty adaptations, read it, Song of Ice and Fire. If you like Game of Thrones, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you, D and D. No, really though, it's D&D's awesome. Let's talk about Legends of Dragons. Yeah, I recommend okay. Dungeons and Dragons. It's okay. a great game. <laughs> okay. That's it. We're done. Bye, in guys. your long boxes. Wait, thanks and, for listening. Thanks for listening to my recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to recommendations. I've been Ryan. I'm Sean Lynch. Woo. I'm a fucking I- asshole.
<laughs> I'm Phil Mavrikis. I'm Daryl Seven. Stay in continuity. I go loony as a light bulb battered bug. Simply loony. Sometimes fold and chew the rug. Mr. Life is swell in a padded cell. It'll chase those blues away. You can trade your gloom for a rubber room and injections twice a day. <laughs> Ryan, you skipped my recommendation. Fuck! <laughs>